Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, How to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview renowned business journalist, leadership expert and best-selling author Susie Welsh in New York. Susie began her career as a crime reporter for the Miami Herald in 1981 before leaving daily journalism a few years later to study at Harvard Business School and then working as a management consultant. In 1995, she combined her two career paths at the Harvard Business Review, where she was eventually named Editor-in-Chief. Susie is the author of the New York Times bestseller 101010, A Life-Transforming Idea, a guide to values-driven decision-making. With her husband, Jack Welch, the former chairman and CEO of General Electric, Susie founded the Jack Welch Management Institute, an online MBA program. The pair have co-authored international bestsellers The Real Life MBA and Winning. 
For the past three decades, Susie has written extensively about leadership, career management, and other organizational issues for publications ranging from O, the Oprah magazine, to the Wall Street Journal. In addition, her candid and perceptive commentary can also be heard regularly on Power Lunch and CNBC.com programs Get to Work with Susie Welsh and Susie Welsh Fix My Career. Susie is the mother of four children and as a tireless advocate for universal compassion, she currently serves on the board of several animal rights organisations. She's also a passionate vegan and evangelical Christian which she describes as a vegangelical. In this interview, Susie discusses the biggest mistakes she and Jack see entrepreneurs making and what to do instead, her own experience as an entrepreneur and why it didn't work for her, why scaling up can often result in disaster for some vegan businesses, Why vegan business owners need to stop being afraid of partnering with non-mission-aligned distributors or other collaborators. What she looks for when being pitched as an investor and what not to include in your pitch to her. How she handled being fired from the Harvard Business Review and her advice on how to survive a damaged reputation. The role of religion and faith in business and much more. Here's the interview with Susie Welsh. Hello, Susie. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. (laughs) I'm very excited to speak with you because you've got such a high profile in the the business world and the fact that you're a vegan is absolutely amazing. And we've got some really interesting things to have a chat with you about today. But the one question I always kick off with with every guest on the show is the why. So what's your why for, for doing the work that you do? So you work in the business world as a journalist, as a commentator, as an author. Um, why do you do what you do? Well, I think that all of those jobs um, allow me to help people live the lives that they dream of, um, but are lacking the means sometimes to achieve. And so I have like a personal mission statement, which is, you know, my, my mission statement is to help people live the lives they dream of if they only knew how. And so I've, I've gotten to this place in my life, in my career, and I'm mainly a career expert. That's my area of expertise, although I have been swimming in the pond of business uh, for the past 30 something years. And I can talk to you about leadership and strategy and all those other things that business covers. But I, I really, um, my main focus and area of expertise is in people building um, successful careers. And a lot of times what stands in people's ways is the ability to go up to sort of 10,000 feet or 20,000 feet and say, okay, what's stopping me? And it is an incredible um, joy to me and pleasure to me to be able to walk alongside people and help them build careers that allow them to live the lives uh, that they want. Because if your career is flourishing, you're helping other people, your, your life has meaning for yourself, it, it just feels good, okay? So it, uh, you know, it, it, maybe you're helping other people, but you're also giving yourself a lot of pleasure as you do that. So it works for me, and I, it, you know, I've ended up having some uh, success at doing it, and so it's sort of self-reinforcing. Got it. Got it. Wonderful. So you, you, you touched on the fact that you obviously you have experience in the business world and you can see what's, what's going on um, in that world. What, do you, what would you say that you've seen some of the key mistakes, particularly entrepreneurs make, and what should they do instead? Hmm. I want to start off by saying how much I admire entrepreneurs. I, for a brief period in my life, I was an entrepreneur when my husband, Jack, decided after he retired that he wanted to start an online business school. Uh, the um, online education was new at the time and he wanted to dive in and try this. And it was very new. And at, at the time, when we started it 10 years ago, it was very controversial to sort of smell that. And he thought it'd be a great idea if we did this together, we would hire some staff, but I would be the head of sales and marketing. He decided that was a great idea. It was a truly entrepreneurial startup, right? We were going to bootstrap it. I mean, I lasted about a year because I didn't have the <laughs> fortitude to make it through the really dark times. And he finally fired me. It was hilarious. He sort of got a <laughs> talk. Um, and I was so relieved to be fired and to be able to go back and do the work I was good at. But I mean, I would like be laying in bed at night with him saying, I'm not going to make my numbers. I'm not going to. And he would say, you know, this is, this is starting a business. Susie. So I, I want to say that I truly admire what entrepreneurs do. Um, I have, uh, um, 
I have a, a, an answer that may surprise you to your question, which is what do entrepreneurs, the mistakes they make. Um, and one of them uh, is probably not so relevant to vegan entrepreneurs. Um, and that is that um, many people decide they want to be entrepreneurs because they like the lifestyle. They like the identity that goes with it. They like saying they're an entrepreneur, um, but they don't have a great idea. And so they sort of dive in saying, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, but they don't have a fully formed idea. And we see that when we travel the country a lot on book tours, we've written some books, so we travel the country and people come up and they're very excited to talk to us and especially ask Jack questions. And then they, Jack says, well, what do you do? And they'll say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And we always both say, what's your idea? And sometimes you just get this sort of blank stare or this sort of answer, something in tech. We say, no, 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 no. Actually, success as an entrepreneur starts with an idea, an idea about something that the market really wants or needs and doesn't have or something that really changes the way people um, uh, consume or, or live or enjoy themselves or study or any something. Um, and so that's a problem is that you want to be an entrepreneur and you're excited about the, you know, quote unquote, freedom you get from being an entrepreneur because any entrepreneur will tell you you yeah. don't have freedom, right? <laughs> the last thing you, the first thing you give away is your freedom, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and they don't have this idea that's going to support this desire to be an entrepreneur. Got it, got it. I love that. And I love what you said about the fact that even someone like yourself, who's very experienced in the business world, didn't have the fortitude to be an entrepreneur. And I think that's so in interesting because similar to you, you know, we see lots of people going, oh yeah, I want to start a vegan business. Oh yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. And they think, like you say, it's going to be fewer hours. It's going to be, you know, a bit kind of cushy and they really don't get the, the hard grind that's uh, involved right. in it. So I'm really glad that you, you know, somebody of your, your high profile and caliber is willing to admit that. So thank you for that. I think that's going to be really helpful for people listening to that to go, oh, even Susie Welsh, you know, she says it's hard. So, okay, that's, that's oh, brilliant. Unbelievably hard. I do think that the, there was one other element to that that I want to add to be full with full disclosure, which was that I didn't, one of my problems was Jack had a fully formed idea, but I didn't believe it could work. Okay. And so I, um, you know, I'm a product of very traditional education. I went to business school and I just didn't think I didn't believe there could be a very high quality student focused online MBA. And so part of my um, problem was I was an entrepreneur trying to build something I didn't truly believe in. And so he had to get rid of me. I had to get out of that role. Had I believed in it, it might've been a different thing. Now the wonderful ending to the story is he was right. And the school <laughs> took off and it, it, and it's, you know, gotten all these awards and is ranked by Princeton Review and, and has 3,000 students and so forth. And so I was wrong. But to be an entrepreneur, I mean, I was missing this key element that entrepreneurs need, which is just this, you know, uh, my idea, not only, you know, is the best idea in the world and it will succeed. It will be intensely hard. Um, I will sweat blood for years, but I will succeed. I didn't believe that. That's what was that was another one of my problems. Okay, go good. Now that's fair. That's fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. So thank you yeah. for, for sharing that. Um, so in terms of, I don't know, you mentioned as you say, you travel the country, you do your book tours, and you're you're interviewing people who are, who are entrepreneurs, talking about what they do. So what about someone? So they do have the idea. They they've got a business going, but they want to scale up. Yeah. Um, what what are the key things that they need to consider before doing that? Can I reflect and say that scaling up is the place where I've seen more vegan business people fail? I mean, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I have um, sort of uh, unofficially been a place where people who are vegan um, uh, entrepreneurs sort of come on by to chat with me about business stuff. And they, I love talking to them and encouraging them. And I have over the past couple of years just seen this scaling up inflection point as the disaster point for so many of them. Usually I'm talking to them after they've tried to scale up and not succeeded. So I think I, so I've given some thought to why this doesn't work. And um, I, I, so many people who become um, vegan business, go into vegan business, uh, lead with their being themselves being vegans. So they're vegans and they want to spread our gospel, so to speak, and they're going to do it through business. Um, and so they're entering business as vegans instead of entering business as business people then who, who then sort of are towing their idea behind them, okay? And so scaling is simply one of the hardest things to do in business, um, whether you're in a vegan business or not. It's an, it's an I mean, there's a, there's a, at Wharton Business School, there's a major in scaling and how oh, to wow. scale 
There are people who graduate from business school. There are um, with with sort of expertise in scaling. There are there are business academics who are experts in scaling. That's how hard it is. Okay, and so what you've got is somebody who is a passionate vegan who has entered this field because they um, many times because they're ethical vegans and they want to change the world for animals and they um, and, and then they face scaling. And it's like saying to somebody who's never run before, and now you're going to be in the New York Marathon tomorrow. I mean, it's like a whole skill set they don't have. So scaling uh, requires a lot of money and a lot of expertise. Uh, you have to know a lot about logistics. You have to know about um, about distribution. These are things that do not come naturally to many people who have entered um, the vegan business world because they're entering in a different way. But it, what it really, really involves is money. You're going to spend a lot of money that you don't have. So you require a partner. And if there's one thing I've noticed about vegan entrepreneurs is they don't want partners. They've come this far on their own and they bootstrapped it. And then they are scared of partners because a lot of times these partners are not mission aligned. Uh, they are, they're business people. They've got the distribution. They don't really give a hoot about animals, but they can get your product to market. And you have an, a yuck quotient with partnering with them. Yes. And, and they back off. And I've just seen so many businesses go off the cliff. And it's at this moment, I totally get it. I, um, I, and my advice to people in this position is to hold your nose and get these partners who are not mission aligned because in the long run, they are a means to our end. Um, and uh, you're not going to find a lot of really good um distributors who are vegan we can't you know if you if you want your partners to be vegan you're sort of taking out 95 percent of the of the of the options at this point you know there's just sometimes we can kid ourselves into thinking we're everywhere because we all hang out with each other mm -hmm. um, but, but there's we're still you know there's still just not enough of us to be picking and choosing looking for the vegan distributors they may not be the best ones um and but um this is a small tangent, but it's, I actually have a note today to call a friend of mine who's hiring somebody who's very, very key person in a vegan business. And um, she's asked for my advice. And I remember looking at her, what she wants from this, the qualifications for this person she wants to hire. And it's, it must be vegan. And I sort of woke up in a cold sweat last night saying, no, 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 no. Uh, we'll, we'll knock off 90% of the people, the, the person we're looking for needs such specific skills really high tech skills and high finance skills will lose 90% of the people hire somebody who's maybe vegetarian or sort of curious, you know, veg curious because hanging out with us, eventually they're going to become vegan. I've had yes. three secretaries in the past 10 years. They all became vegan. They couldn't help it. Once you hear our story, uh, once you know what, once you see what we see, uh, once you know what we know, you have to become a vegan. And so, um, or you're not a, or you're, or you're, you have, no hard. You know, people are always stunned when they hear that Jack Welch, you know, Mr. Businessman is a vegan. Like, he lives with me. <laughs> you did a wonderful you know, job there. <laughs> I remember sitting at, he was eating bacon, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I got a picture of a gestation crate and I showed, I turned the, I turned my iPhone to him and I said, this is where your bacon came from. <laughs> and that was the last bite of bacon he ever took. I mean, wow. he lives with me. So I think that don't, have faith that, that we can bring people to us. Okay. Um, so when you're looking for distributors or partners, as you scale up, have faith that your witness will bring them to where we are and don't um, narrow your choices because that leap into scaling is so hard. And your partners are so critical. Uh, um, you really need the best. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved what you said about the point about making sure that you've got money because just this week we've seen a, a public post by a vegan business here in Australia saying they've got themselves into terrible debt and they've yep. launched a GoFundMe campaign yep. and it's like, oh my gosh. And they've you know, tried to expand uh, too quickly uh, as well without realizing uh, the costs that are involved. So I'm really glad that you addressed that. It's really brilliant advice. I love that. And, and I guess on that, you've talked about partners. And then I also see, and I guess you probably and, and Jack probably get hit with this a lot, people wanting investment, like, hey, I've got a vegan business. I want an investor, which means they want an injection of cash. Um, so what can you, what advice would you um, give to a vegan business owner if they're considering seeking investor? What should they have 
in place, I guess, to maximize their opportunities to get their pitch even looked at and, you know, and ultimately be successful? I have been pitched so many times um, and I've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, I think that uh, you need, if you're looking for an investor, even a mission aligned investor like me, if I'm investing, I want to see a path to profitability. So if I want to just give my money away, there are plenty of fantastic um, philanthropic organizations, which I'm happy to support. And I do when we do. Um, And um, in that case, you know, you're just giving your money away. And the only return you're going to get is the joy of the last slaughterhouse closing in our lifetimes. Okay. So the way I write those checks, I'm just saying the return is going to be, I'm going to be standing there uh, when this last slaughterhouse is decommissioned. That's my dream, right? When you're writing a check, to a business person, they're not a charity, and you want to see a path to profitability. You want to see a business plan about um, about how they're going to scale. Um, and what you don't really want to see is, uh, and what I see way too often is sort of the case for veganism. Well, I'm sold. I'm a mission line investor already. I know that it, I, you know I don't need to know about the health benefits. I don't need to know how overfished the seas are. Okay, I need to see how you're going to get into Whole Foods, um, and I want to see. Um, I'm one of the lessons that I learned at, at business school um, that is so true and that has not changed despite the uh, whole world of tech and how business has changed is I, I remember Bill Solomon, one of the earliest investors in Amazon saying, when you get a business plan um, and you're being asked to invest in it, <clears throat> ignore everything. Just turn to the page where you're looking at the, the quality of the management team. Ah. Okay. And, uh, and I have, uh, I, I just, Follow that advice, and uh, I actually um, was pitched the other day uh, by a very promising, I thought, a very promising food company in the uh, in the animal replacement space. And so I asked to speak. I saw the bios of the management team; they were pretty good. Um, and but then I said, you know, I actually was thinking about putting some serious money into them. And so I asked to meet with the management team, and they they, they came to see us and meet with both me and Jack. And I, um, on three, I was underimpressed, and on three occasions asked them to explain why their product was better than a competitor. There's a competitor in this space, and three times said, "Why are you better?" And they couldn't answer me. And um, I noticed that they, um, they just sort of lacked passion, and um, uh, you know, just all the things that you would look for in a managerial team. And so uh, their their actual document made the case for all the reasons why their product uh, was a good one, you know, about why we need to replace animals and what the demand would be. But there was, but then when you actually met the people, they fell short. And so understand that investors are looking at you. They're not looking at your argument about, about um, why we all need to go vegan. They're looking at your intelligence, your savvy, your critical thinking, um, your passion, your ability to attract other good people, um, your flexible, flexible mind. You're selling yourself, not just your idea. Mm, I love that. I'm glad you've said that because I've interviewed a few uh, investors on the show and they've pretty much all said that, um, you know, that you can have the best business plan in the world, but they're investing in the people. Um, so I'm glad that you've said that because that's um, showing a, a trend, I guess, um, which is great. Now, you've talked about um, hiring. I'm glad you've talked about the management team because I guess that leads nicely into hiring, which is what your expertise in is, uh, you know, uh, people in their careers. So what about some tips for vegan entrepreneurs who are looking to hire staff? What should they look for? for both when they're looking at the resume um, and also during the interview. And I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, how can you kind of weed out those people who just want a job and they don't really care whether they're working for you or someone else versus those who are, are really keen to, to work for your business? Because, you know, interviewees can get a bit, you know, they get all these tips about how to do a good interview. And so how can you avoid being, I guess, tricked um, as a, a vegan entrepreneur and instead actually get someone who's going to really be a fit for you? You know, Katrina, I think the problem is actually sort of the opposite of what you suggest and that what happens when you're a vegan entrepreneur is somebody comes in and they're very mission aligned and they're young vegans and they're incredibly excited about what you're selling and you, you're so excited that their values are aligned with yours that you don't look at their skills. Ah, that's a good point, okay. actually. <laughs> that's a very good point. You don't, 
I don't think you get a lot of blase people. Like when you're hiring at, you know, Possible Foods or Beyond Meat or whatever, the people who are sort of self-selecting to sort of be applying to you are not sort of blase. They're, they're psyched about your product. And they're, they, you know, I think that that's what happens with vegan entrepreneurs is they get people who come in and they just, people who really want to work there because they love the mission or they just love the idea and, and, and um, they love the vegan lifestyle and, 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 but they don't have the skills. And that's why I think that we sell ourselves short as a movement when we only try to hire other vegans. Look, I, I wish the whole world was vegan. I, 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 you know, I get so frustrated when my friends weren't vegan. I get all that stuff. I don't want to be. I don't want to be around non-vegans. I get, <laughs> you know, um, I want to shake them. Okay, so, but you know, they hang around with you long enough. They come and they work at the company. They see the videos we see, and they'll they'll come around. They will. And I think that I think a lot about an amazing thing that Uma Valetti did when he was putting together his team for Memphis Meats. He showed up with his biz dev guy, who was an incredibly smart guy. And I think he was, he'd gone to Harvard Business School. He worked at Goldman Sachs. And I said to him, are you a vegan? And he said, nope, just love the taste of meat. And I almost fell off my chair. But Uma was doing something really, really smart. He was finding the best biz dev guy. He needed a great person in the industry i think he was gambling that this guy was going to come around and if i had to guess if i had to guess that guy's not eating and meat anymore i just I, I just think that we we go too much for the um you know we want people who are open-minded so that they have the potential to come over to yeah. um, the vegan style because after a while it does become a, a you know but what i've vegan entrepreneurs we need the skills experience technical knowledge of people who may not be vegan, okay? There's just not enough good vegan SEO experts, okay? So get somebody who tells you they were vegetarian in college, okay? But they now, you know, sometimes they eat fish or whatever. But if their skills are fantastic, they'll come over. And get those skills to build your business because if your business succeeds, there'll be more vegans. Yeah, for sure. So basically the advice there is to not be blindsided by the yeah. fact that the people are coming to see you or interviewing for you a vegan but to really kind of make sure that they they have the skill set that you require and if they're right. both then it's a bonus now who's that we've got an extra guest on the show who is it? Is that happy that's happy barking that's our great that's our, that's hey, our happy. She's a great pyrenees are big barkers when we rescued her we didn't know she was a great pyrenees um we just thought she was this um darling pathetic dog who had one hour to live as it said on her cage at the shelter and we and then i brought her home and i brought her to the vet and i said what is this dog and she looked at the double dew claws and said oh this must be a great pyrenees so i quickly looked it up online and the first thing it said is loves to bark and i thought (laughs) (laughs) well you know i've actually had a few uh, canines and felines on the show and what i find is often when we acknowledgement and we we acknowledge them and we say hello to them they're often quite happy and then they calm down so hello happy and welcome to the show (laughs) (laughs) she's got a bark (laughs) okay that's all right no problem Fantastic. So now I want to talk to you about a topic that I know is very close to your heart, and I'm I'm really curious and interested about it because uh, I know you describe yourself as a vegangelical because you're an evangelical Christian, and I really enjoyed your interview with Marianne on our hen house in which you talked a bit about this. So I guess I'd like to talk about it within the the business um, context. So for someone such as yourself, you're very involved in your your community, your evangelical Christian community, and I, I love the fact that you uh, you really kind of push the envelope there on, when it comes to animal rights to the point where you, um, I believe you said your pastor comes around to talk to you about it, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but so for someone for whom religion or spirituality is important, what role do you think faith has or should have in business. All right. Well, you've um, you've asked a lot of questions all in one ball. Um, it's a great, <laughs> uh, great topic, and it's always um, uh, it is uh, you know um, uh, one that raises a lot of questions, right? So I typically describe myself as um, as a follower of Christ. I think that takes a lot of the uh, a lot of the charged aspect out of it because evangelicals um, uh, they um, they make a lot of people nervous, um, and for some good reason. Um, so I like to describe myself very simply as a follower of Christ. In other words, I'm, I'm a faithful Christian, and I, um, I want to be more like Jesus. And because I want to be more like Jesus, I, I am absolutely 100% obliged to be a vegan. And I often say to people, you know, I'm not 
um, a vegan because I love animals. I love dogs and I, um, and I like cats. Okay. I'm not one of these people who like would stop to, if I saw an injured snake on the side of the road where one of my vegan friends did that the other day. And I wrote her, what were you thinking? It was just so, but I am a vegan because I love Jesus and Jesus uh, says um, that we must show compassion and mercy to all of God's creation. And that's very simple to me. You cannot be showing compassion and mercy to all of God's creation and participate in a system that tortures and slaughters animals. So I, um, I, so that's how actually um, I see it. So I, the evangelical church in America is complicated and and um, and not all one big lump. Okay, so there are some evangelical churches that are um, have. Uh, participate in society in 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 different ways than others, um, and but to my mind, the, the evangelical church that, that I belong to—one up north and one down south—where we go in the, in the cold weather—and they are just based on love and loving each other and and loving um, loving people um, of all kinds um, and who have made all different um, uh, who who live in every different way. The, the, if you if you are a follower of Christ in an evangelical way, you love everyone, right. and um, so that's where I come from. And but my everyone includes all of God's creation. I mean, you got to uh, come back to the fact that um, that Eden was vegan. So when God created the earth in its most perfect form, He gave human beings fruits and nuts. Period. And, uh, and, and it it's, couldn't be more clear. Now, this doesn't make me popular with all of my uh, uh, Christian friends who love barbecue. Um, and, I'm a, and I'm a total pain in the neck in church. And it's true. My pastor frequently has to come to my house after I've done something. Um, <laughs> actually, after I've had this, my daughter calls it a disruption, where I walk out of a sermon, where hunting is mentioned, or I say something, or I, um, but I, you know, I teach Bible study, and in, in teaching Bible study, I, I speak openly about the fact that one of the ways that I follow Christ and worship God is by being a vegan activist. Um, and so, all right, now, but what you really asked about was business, and you asked about faith in business. Yeah. And, and I guess that the feeling is, it's like, I, I, I am one person. You know, I, I don't like, the, my faith does not occur on just on Sundays or also on Tuesdays during Bible study. I mean, I'm just always this one person and I can't unpick it. And so um, I, I bring my whole self to work um, and I, I, because I come from a place of love, um, I, if somebody disagrees with me or is, it doesn't have any faith, I, I want to love them no matter what. And so I when I'm at work now, I'm really lucky, you know, I go to work and I, people are fully aware of my, of my faith and they're fully aware of my veganism. And I just bring it, I bring it all. And, but I do it without, um, I try to do it, um, with a way that makes people feel really comfortable bringing their whole self to work also. Um, you know, it's not my way or the highway. Um, it's just sort of, here's who I am. Who are you? And I, I think that would make, that just makes business more, uh, for everyone, makes business more um, authentic and enjoyable, and uh, then we get more done because we can collaborate when we know who we know where each other is coming from. And if you just go into work all the time, assuming best intentions um, about everybody, even if they're different, just assume they have the best intentions for you and for the world and for um, for for the business. Uh, then then just a lot of stuff falls away, and we can all be real with each other. I mean, I've worked my whole life with, um, you know, with people who are not followers of Christ and who are not vegans, and um, and that's okay. I mean, what I want people to do by bringing my whole self to work is is to have them ask me questions about why I am where I am, yeah. um, and why I believe what I believe, and I like to ask them those questions too. So, it, it's look, it's worked for me, um, and I know that there are places where you don't bring your whole self to work. And there are some things you should not bring to work. Um, I just did a video about this for CNBC. I have a weekly show there where we, we take on career questions and it's like, you know, how much of your personal stuff do you bring to bring to work? And there's just some, I look, I don't want to hear about um, your sort of, uh, you know, as a boss, I, I just, there's a point where you're sort of 
dating life, um, you know, crosses the line when we get a daily report or, you know, sort of uh, that kind of thing. You've got to, you've got to know what's too much information. But when we're talking about the, the uh, makeup of our character, you know, I, I think it's better to be, it's better to bring your whole self. Got it. Now, I mean, sometimes religion and business does clash, and we've seen several examples, for example, of, of certain Christian bakers um, ref- refusing to make wedding cakes for gay or lesbian couples. So I'm interested on, in your take on that and how, I guess, well, well, the question is how much should a business owner's religious beliefs influence the way they run their business? I just don't get that, Baker. I don't get it because no. um, Jesus loved everyone. Uh, so I just don't get why he couldn't make the cake. Mm. And if he wanted the person, he wanted that couple to engage with Jesus, um, he should have made the cake and wished them well. So I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't understand how, I mean, like if my faith would lead me to a totally different decision as a baker. So I just don't get it um, because it seemed sort of unchristian to me what he did. So um, just as like a, how I, the same way I see um, you know, my church for a long time uh, until uh, recently, thanks be to God, it stopped, had a fish and hunt club. And I remember just like my poor pastor just saying to my, like, how could it possibly be? Why don't we just have like a, why don't we just have a gossip and hate club? Because these are sins. So I, uh, so I, I'm just very perplexed by that baker. And I, and, and I'm sorry that the, um, um, I'm sorry that all all people of faith or all Christ followers have been sort of lumped in with that decision. And I don't know if he's a good person or a bad person. Or I, I just I, I I don't like what he did. I wouldn't have done it myself. I um I I don't know. If, I think that he and that couple should have sat down and had a conversation over the Bible, and I think they would have ended up someplace different. Uh, and I think that cake would have been made. Mm, it's interesting. Yeah, there's been a few kind of cases, but it's interesting. And it's very refreshing, I have to say, just on a personal level to hear you say that, because, you know, we do judge and, and I fully, you know, uh, do that myself. I'll give you an example. Like when I, because I, you know, when I started to hear about who you were and what you're doing, I was thinking, oh, she's amazing. How fabulous. And she's vegan. Then I found out you're an evangelical Christian. My initial reaction was, oh, no. Because yeah. I immediately yeah. thought, oh, I wonder if she's homophobic. I wonder if she's... Oh, my God. All that kind of went through. And then yeah. we were on our hen house. I thought, no, she probably isn't because, you know, Marianne and, and Jasmine are lesbians. Yeah. Probably, and I realized that you weren't. But it is, it's that kind of... Been, and sometimes I get, you know, connect requests to connect on LinkedIn from people. And sometimes they'll put their Christian or, you know, their faith at the beginning. And I immediately yeah. kind of think, oh, you know, I'm not sure. Okay, maybe yeah. they want to connect with me because I'm vegan, but then, you know, maybe they won't like other aspects. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm kind of wary. So I wish all Christians and all religious people were like you. (laughs) I mean, that's sweet of you to say. I just think that, um, I, I just, uh, I, every time uh, people bring this up, I, I, like in my Bible study and they'll say, well, you know, the Bible does say, and I'll say, yeah, but you know, um, let's just talk about this. You know, the Bible says in about, um, I, I forget the exact number, but like there's 45 times more references in the Bible to how evil gossip is. Okay, but so for some reason, gossip isn't the center of our national or international conversation. <laughs> right and wrong. Like, let's just switch it. Let's just, talk about, let's just talk about gossip because really um, the Bible in the Old Testament and the New uh, really, really... Uh, uh, goes goes hard on like people who gossip, and you know, and and just really, Jesus just impels us to focus only on our own personal sin and to stop talking about anybody else's behaviors except for our own. And 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 I think that um, uh, I do, um, I do know that reaction that you have when people, like, you know, like, um, wait, Susie's a Christian, but my that <laughs> she's a perfectly normal person. <laughs> Oh God! Sometimes this is. I. I it makes me want to. Um, it makes me want to cry sometimes, and I want to reclaim. Um, you know, I want to reclaim what it really means to be a follower of Christ. And I'm not. I know I'm not alone. I have so many good Christian friends, and we are all in the same place. Which is just what our job is. It's just to. It's just to be ambassadors of love, yeah. love for everyone, and all God's creation, all God's creation. We are against all harm uh, towards 
and, and, and hate and cruelty towards anything God created. Mm. Well, you're doing, you're doing a very good job of being a very good ambassador. So I'll just let you know that. So I've got one more question on just on the religious side of things. So I'm curious on your thoughts of mega churches, because like we've got one, mm. well, we've got a few in Australia, one in particular, and they're, they're really, really big. And I've got to say, from, their, from a branding and marketing perspective, I mean, mm. they are just uh, amazing. I've been to a couple of their services just out of curiosity. Their carol service was like a Broadway show. It was like a mm. spectacular. But I also know that some entrepreneurs, they have quite a lot of sort of influential people tend to go to it. And I know some entrepreneurs that will go along to these and they're not religious in the slightest. They just go along because they want to make the business contacts. Um, and I'm just curious, kind of what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, uh, Hillsong is an amazing organization, okay? And so I have four millennial children, and um, three of them are followers of Christ, and they've all gone to Hillsong in the United States. I'm sure you're referring to Hillsong, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and so uh, you know, three of them have gone to Hillsong on and off, and then they end up going to more um, to different churches. And uh, they have, of course, experienced, they were raised in a very faithful home and they're, they're Bible warriors in that they know what the scripture says. And they also, they, we, we call um, Hillsong scripture light, L-I-T-E, because, you know, you feel really good in the, the music, you know, the whole Christian world owes Hillsong a debt of gratitude for that good music. And Yeah, um, we'll give them that. They, they do have good music. Well, yeah. I mean, some of those songs. <laughs> Some of those songs that yeah, are beautiful, really yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I always think of my, one of my, my daughters uh, who has gone to Hillsong the most, how does Hillsong make its money? Like we're just sort of fascinated by the business model. <laughs> yeah. Nobody really knows, right? Um, and I think that I have two thoughts about what you're saying, which is that people who go to Hillsong just go for the, um, you know, they're not really going for the f- religious part of it, but they're going to make the business connections. And I would say... Um, Sometimes people say that, but there is something that's filling a little hole in them. And so they say, I'm not religious, but they keep on going to church. And I've seen many of those people one day get baptized. So I would sort of take that with a grain of salt, because I'll tell you something, it's very hard sometimes to say, I mean, in um, you just sort of, I don't know, I hate to use this sort of terminology because it's you know, to sort of come out as a Christian, okay? Because, it, you know, there's, there's a, the, the, I highly recommend it, if you're not watching it already, the HBO show um, um, Silicon Valley. And it's, the, it's a brilliant comedy series about Silicon Valley. And uh, last season, there was an incredible episode where they were um, starting a business and they had all these partners. And um, much to everyone's horror, one of the members who was gay um, was a Christian and they tried to boot him out of the group, not because he was gay, but because he was Christian. And it was this wonderful commentary <laughs> on what is new taboo is to be something that used to be like you had to be, right? You know, and if you were doing business in 1950, you had to belong to the local Baptist church, right? Um, uh, so I would say um, some people just don't want to admit why they're a church. And maybe they don't even themselves know, but there is something in them that um, is some need or that is being met by being there, some sort of connection with something bigger than themselves. And so um, I, I'll also say that Hillsong has cracked the code that many mega churches have, which is how to make church fun. I mean, why should church not be fun? You're going to be doing it for an hour and a half, two hours away. It should, I try to make my Bible studies really fun. Yeah. It shouldn't, you know. So uh, they're doing something right um, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of marketing and reaching people. Yeah, I know. It's. I'm, I mean, I'm very conflicted with them because I've, I've been to them. I like. I love the showing aspects of it. I, I really like all of that and the happy clappy side of it. But I guess for yes. me, it's like you know, they are they're they they're not exactly gay friendly. They don't allow. I mean, even though they've shifted a little bit, they don't believe in gay marriage. They don't allow gay people to ascend in their church. So that's an obvious kind of issue, I guess, for me. And I guess the whole thing is they sometimes preach about we're all born broken. Um, and I kind of think that's a really sad thing to be teaching people, especially children. So I kind of feel very conflicted with them because on the one hand, I, I am curious, you know, and I'll, I, I went to the carol service and I may go to the, another carol service because I mm-hmm. there is something about it. And I, I've, I've actually got I posted this on Facebook a couple of years ago and it was really unpopular. I've actually got a Hillsong playlist on my phone because I love some of the songs and I had so many people like, oh my God, you know, like really attacking me for it. I was like, oh gosh. So I'm probably going to get that now that I've said it on the the show. But yeah, it's kind of, it is an interesting one. Um, Yeah. I think that um, uh, 
Um, I belong to an evangelical church where every single week the pastor says everyone belongs here. Everyone is loved here, gay, straight, um, you know, married, divorced. And he goes through the whole list of everything that typically has not been welcomed at a or not thought to be welcomed in an evangelical church. Um, and so I think it's interesting what you're saying about Hillsong. I did not, I, I can understand them not. I mean, it, a, a evangelical church performing gay marriages is, you know, I don't know when that will happen. That's, that's a, that's a, that is a complicated thing, um, whether that will happen because of their, because of just what Paul says about marriage in the Bible. Um, and, but I, I'm surprised that they've come out and actually said, you can't ascend in our church if you're gay. Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. strong statement. Um, and some uh, evangelical churches have different views on that. I, I understand your conflicted feelings. I truly understand your conflicted feelings about it. And I think that every follower of Christ um, has, has, uh, has tried to reconcile what they know Christ said and what some people do and say about, uh, about, about gay marriage and about uh, people being gay. And it's, and you have to go back to that, that still clear, voice of God that is about love and compassion and, um, and, and, and what really matters to God. And you, to fixate on seven verses in the Bible rather than the big story of the Bible, which is God's redeeming love. I just don't, I, I don't know. I, there's something else going on. People who make that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, that was an interesting conversation. I'm glad we had that. <laughs> so I know we're we're getting to wrap up now because I know you're you're busy and we've we've gone a little over our scheduled time. But um, just wanted to ask you a couple of, of quick questions. One was about so um, back in I think it was 2001, 2002. So you were fired from your job at the Harvard Harvard Business Review, and mm-hmm. you've spoken about this publicly. You thought your career was going to be over. But you managed to weather the storm, and of course now you're a respected journalist, author, and business person. So, what um, advice or tips can you offer vegan entrepreneurs who may, for one reason or another, whatever it is, find their reputations tarnished? Yeah, that was a very crummy period. It was in 2001, and it's funny. Um, you know, the first sort of five years after, um, you know, it just felt so. It was in my thoughts every moment, and you know, time goes by. And I remember my best friend at the at the time saying to me you know, time will wash this away and me thinking it will never go away. So it was a really terrible time. It was, a, you know, um, thank God there was no Twitter then, but short of the fact that there was no Twitter, it was quite a scandal that my husband and I got ourselves into running off um, together and I got fired and it was just, I mean, I was called a disgraced editor of the Harlem Business Review and I was told by my boss I would never work again. I would, I would never work again. And, you know, sort of described a life where I'd be sort of uh, serving food to people in homeless shelters, trying to rebuild my life. And, um, and, you know, shortly after that, the editor of the Oprah magazine called me and asked if I would work there. So apparently life did go on, but that was quite, you know, I couldn't believe it. I thought she sort of had the wrong number. Um, uh, my advice would be uh, to not hide. I mean, I did too much hiding. I was scared. I felt very um, ashamed um, not for anything that I had done, but by the things that were being said about me that weren't true. And Jack and I often say that if we could go back in time and do anything differently, um, we would just have a press conference and we would just say, look, we are two people who fell in love. I, I was, a, I was divorced and unmarried at the time, but he was married and, and, and we would have, what we wanted to do by being silent was hurt as few people as possible, but there was a way where we could have spoken publicly and not hurt people. And we just hid. And so if your reputation is damaged, take it head on. Um, talk about what you did wrong. Talk about how sorry you are. Talk about what you're going to do to make things right. And then weather it. Um, and uh, the thing about having a public death, which is sort of what I felt I was experienced, is that um, uh, you don't die. And it really makes you brave. I mean, I, I, my life really changed at that when I finally sort of got my shit to, oh, excuse my book. <laughs> when I finally got myself together, now I was raising, you know, one of the complicating factors was I had four children under the age of 12 at that time, and they were really getting um, nailed. Um, and they were really getting the brunt of it at school and so forth. And so I was sort of um, uh, trying to handle a lot of stuff at the same time. But when it all, when the dust finally settled and Jack and I got married and we started to rebuild our lives and I started to work for Oprah and, and things started to get, um, normalized again, I thought, wow, um, I'm much more unbreakable than I knew. Uh-huh. And it allowed me to start doing some really, to really start dreaming bigger dreams. 
and to really sort of start, you know, and I realized that when I told my story about how ashamed I was and how much I cried and how scary it was, people didn't like me less. They, they liked me more right? Um, because my humanity was out there and I actually ended up being able to help many more people and that my, you know, my terrible period has allowed me to help more people um, than I ever could have if I hadn't gone through it. And so, and it really, it, it really, you know, um, James teaches us in his epistle that um, every bad thing that happens to us is intentional to sort of prepare us to help other people going through it and, um, and to, and to really hone our humility, which I, um, I've needed, I, I guess, um, really. And, 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 that period has really allowed me to, I mean, I was just with a vegan entrepreneur whose business had failed and, um, and she was in a place of terrible crisis and feeling really ashamed and, and like, you know, like her life was over. And I was able to talk to her and I hope help her in a way I never would have been able to, if I had not lived through my own storm. I love that. I think that's wonderful. That's really brilliant advice. My very last question then is just related to one of your books, because we know you're a prolific author, the book 10, 10, 10. Mm-hmm. Business owners have to make a lot of decisions in their life. And you talk, you have some really helpful advice in your book. You've written a whole book about it. Um, a particular technique that you use for getting unstuck and decision making. Can you just talk a little bit about that, what it is? And of course, we'll put a link to the book so that people can get it and read it in more oh. detail. Thank you. I mean, I tell you that book, I wrote that book 10 years ago. It's staying power is a great source of joy to me um, because I think everyone struggles with decisions. It's always blown my mind that you can go to school and you can learn how to, how to, um, you know, take the volume of a cylinder, but you're not taught how to make a decision. I mean, kids graduate from high school and college without a system for making decisions. And I was one of them. And I was, I had good, Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> we have that beep so that we are warned when someone's coming down the driveway to get the dogs inside. Um, <laughs> you know, I was a person of good intelligence and who worked very hard in school and got good grades and, and was an achiever and all these other things, but I didn't have a system for making decisions. And when I was about 35 years old, it really caught up with me because I was just doing everything to make everyone happy and juggling a lot of all. And my world started to implode this is when I was going through my divorce and um, I was making a lot of crazy decisions because I had no system for making decisions. So I did come up with, in a, in a moment of extreme desperation, um, Um, came up with a system for making decisions where I would think about my options and the consequences of each one of those options in the immediate future, 10 minutes, the foreseeable future, 10 months, and the long future, 10 years, really the future I was trying to build. And then I would compare them. And it was really sort of creating this grid in my mind, taking into account my values. What did I really want from my life? What did I really you know, what did I really believe? What kind of mom did I want to be? What kind of boss did I want? I was a boss at that time. you know, what did I want? And then I would look at the, the, you know, all of the options, all of their consequences and make a, a deliberate, transparent, consistent decision time and time again. It changed my life. I mean, it changed my life in one day, Katrina. Wow. I was making dumb, haphazard decisions by the seat of my pants, um, you know, basically on gut. Well, gut is great and it has its place. Gut is, you know, is pattern recognition. Um, but that's not enough. You, you know, God didn't just give you a gut. He also gave you a brain. And so why not deploy both of those organs, right? Yeah. And it really changed my life. And, and when people saw the change in me, it really, it started at work where my coworkers and, um, and my boss actually said, wow, you've really, you, you've really calmed down. Um, because I just sort of looked like a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I mean, I had four young children. I was a single mom. I was running a section of the magazine at that point. I was hoping to be the editor-in-chief someday. And I was just frantic. That, and I was recovered for me was the quality of my work. I was good at what I did. And so that covered for a lot of my sort of personal junk. And then I just I started using 10-10-10. And I started talking to my kids about why I was making my decisions the way I was. And I started saying to my coworkers, yes, but let's consider this. Well, what do we really care about? Well, look at these. Con- and I got this system. It was really quite a transformative event in my life. And it just started to spread, it spread among my friends and it spread among my coworkers. And it really allowed me to um, just be more effective and more productive and happier. And so years uh, later, 
uh, one day in a pitch meeting with my boss at um, when I was still working for O, the Oprah magazine, I, I just sort of offhandedly said, someday I should write about 10-10-10, this decision-making device I use. And I described it, and they said, oh, my God, write about it next month. <laughs> and, and it went from there, and it, it went on. And, and I, I love it. I mean, a, a week doesn't go by, and sometimes a day doesn't go by, where somebody doesn't reach out to me via LinkedIn or Twitter or somehow saying, you really helped me with a terrible decision because I deployed 10-10-10, and it changed everything. And so that, man, is that gratifying. Wonderful. We'll definitely put a link to that because I think it sounds like a lot of vegan entrepreneurs will benefit from that. So I think that's a really great note to end on. Susie, thank you so much for spending um, time speaking with me. I know we went over time a bit and I know you're kind of on vacation. Um, So I really appreciate you. You've given so much value. I know this is going to be a really, really useful uh, interview and conversation particularly. Well, I I love talking to you and I love what you do and I'm a huge admirer. Oh, well, the feeling is more than mutual, I can assure you. So thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. So that was Susie Welsh. You can find out more on CNBC and via her books. And there are links to those on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 107. Now for our vegan business news roundup. British vegan meal replacement brand Huel has seen fast expansion and is set to hit £45 million in turnover just three years after it launched. The company, whose name is a portmanteau of human fuel, was founded in 2015 by serial entrepreneur Julian Hearn with an investment of £220,000 that Hearn made from the sale of his affiliate marketing business in 2011, one that he built from scratch as the sole founder in 2008 with just £1,500 investment and within three years was making over £2 million profit a year. In 2017, Huel launched in the US, which has quickly become its biggest selling market, and the company has been in profit since day one. It's done all this by selling solely online from the company's own website directly to consumers, apart from a very small percentage sold via Amazon. Now, I wrote in depth about Huel for my Forbes column recently, and Julian Hearn shared some excellent insights and advice for startups, which is well worth checking out. So I'll put a link to the article on the show notes page for this episode. Plant-based food sales have grown 20% in the past year, according to new research by Nielsen, commissioned by the Plant-Based Foods Association in the U.S., In addition to the dollar sales growth of 20%, sales of plant-based food have topped $3.3 billion, and with overall food sales growth at only 2%, this new data shows that plant-based foods growth is outpacing all other retail food sales by 10 times. Some of the report's key findings include... The plant-based milk category is up 9% compared to 3% the previous year and represents about half the total dollar value of all plant-based foods at $1.6 billion. Cow's milk dollar sales are down 6%, while plant-based milk now comprises 15% of total milk sales. Plant-based meats are growing at 24% compared to 6% the previous year topping $670 million in sales. By comparison, animal meats are growing at just 2%. Plant-based dairy alternatives, which includes plant-based cheeses, creamers, butter, yogurts and ice creams, but excludes milks, are experiencing explosive growth, up 50%. The growth in plant-based creamers has been particularly impressive, with a 131% increase, with $109 million in sales. Plant-based cheeses are growing at 43% at $124 million in sales, and plant-based yogurts are growing at 55% at $162 million in sales. So this is brilliant news because you can't argue with the figures. And I think this really shows that consumers who are mostly not vegan or vegetarian are voting with their dollars. And it also means that there's plenty of opportunity for vegan entrepreneurs in this space.
Finally, an Italian food festival in Sydney, Australia is featuring a special event offering up a vegan feast by celebrity chef Shannon Martinez from renowned vegan restaurant Smith & Daughters in Melbourne. The event, Vigano Italiano, which takes place on the 20th of October, and that's 2018 if you're listening in the future, is being hosted by Time Out magazine as part of Sydney Good Food Month, which celebrates chefs and restaurants that influence Australia's cuisine. Martinez, who is actually a meat eater, became known for her popular vegan menu at Smith & Daughters, as well as the company's plant-based deli. She estimates that around 75% of the clientele are flexitarians seeking out plant-based dishes. And tickets for this event are available at goodfoodmonth.com. So this is really smart of the festival organisers to hold special events like this, and it offers opportunities for owners of vegan restaurants as well as plant-based chefs. And it's worth connecting with specialist festival organisers and getting on their radar to explore potential collaborations like this, which is a win for everyone involved. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. Yeah.